Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. The C2 will have no choice but to seek all available recourse to stop them. Members of a group convened by Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to revise the police department's use of force policies are now blasting the process as a sham. Chicago police officer Cynthia Donald is suing the city and former police superintendent Eddie Johnson. The woman who we thought was Johnson's mistress says she was in fact the victim of horrific abuse by Johnson. Illinois reported the highest single day case count since the beginning of the pandemic today. 4,000 new cases and 53 additional deaths are reported. Today, Cynthia Donald, a central figure in the events that led to Eddie Johnson's firing at CPD, accused the former top cop of sexual abuse, harassment, and a hostile work environment. In a lawsuit filed overnight, Donald, Johnson's former driver, alleges Johnson raped her, sent nude photos, and pressured her to comply with sexual advances. For more than three years, I was subjected to unwanted and uninvited sexual abuse, harassment, intimidation, in a hostile work environment. The suit alleges Dan starting next month. Brandis, your reaction to the plan that CPS put out in press release? Yeah, put out in a, in a press release. I think, you know, the story broke yesterday, as we heard Sarah Karp say just a little while ago. Um, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, and I, I, it's a tough situation, so I see...
It's been a week of shocking and unsettling announcements around the reopening of CPS. Published reports say most students will continue learning from home until January, but there are some exceptions. The Chicago Teachers Union says that the mayor's plan is dangerous. Around the efforts to reform the Chicago police. Members of a group convened by Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to revise the police department's use of force policies are now blasting the process as a sham. And even around the former top cop himself. The woman who we thought was Johnson's mistress says she was in fact the victim of horrific abuse by Johnson. And COVID numbers in Illinois looks like they're going the wrong way. Illinois reported the highest single-day case count since the beginning of the pandemic today. I'm Justin Kaufman, and we're taking you inside those stories and more on WBEC's Weekly News Roundup. Joining us this week around our virtual table, WBEC criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Thanks for having me. Also with us, WTTW co-anchor and correspondent Brandis Friedman. She hosts Chicago Tonight Black Voices Sunday at 6 p.m., as well as Chicago Tonight. Brandis, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right, so this morning CPS announced that the vast majority of students will continue learning from home until at least January. Preschool and special education programs will be phased in starting next month. Brandis, your reaction to the plan that CPS put out in press release? I think it's going to be difficult for them. It's a tough situation, so I see both sides of this, right? So I think the concern from the district is they've got declining enrollment, and numbers show that these two groups in particular, the pre-K students and the cluster students, those are diverse learners, special education, um, and they need uh, more support from uh, more providers and, and educators. The concern is that these folks, these kids are not attending school, they're not engaging and they're not getting the learning, and that the equity and the learning gap is just going to get wider and wider. But of course, CTU has been against this for a very long time, and they've been, you know, out and loud about it uh, with regards to whether or not the schools are safe to return to. Um, and I think they felt like they weren't really getting the information that they needed about case count within the buildings for the handful of folks that are working in the buildings. Uh, now, CPS says that they're going to start addressing that going forward and sharing that. They've got a spot on the website that they're going to be posting those numbers, and I think you can access the data and get it school by school. CPS's argument is that in these groups, especially with the the smaller kids, three and four years old, they're less likely. They've got lower rates of COVID-19, far lower. But then when you talk about your, your clusters, your diverse learners, some of them may not be able to mask because of, you know, Right, whatever it is right. that they need, and some of them have comorbidities and might be at risk of contracting COVID. So it, it's a bad situation yeah, for and I everybody. Can, I, you know, if, if CTU is pounding the table the way they are today and, and yesterday night about, uh, you know, being steadfast against bringing the kids back, what happens when the majority of students come back? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the, the, their stance so far w- would indicate to us that they would be steadfastly against that, as you're saying. I mean, Obviously, we don't know what the situation will be like in a few months. It doesn't seem like things will be dramatically different as far as COVID is concerned in a few months. But, but, but you know, hey, here's hoping, I guess. But, yeah, certainly, yeah, CTU's right. position seems to be that when they, when they if we get to the point where CPS is saying we want to get back to in-person learning for everybody, that the union will fight against that. Let's make the transition to the story about the former Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. Patrick, this week the news on Eddie Johnson was, you know, reprimanding some of the officers involved in in that traffic stop. This lawsuit is a bombshell. 
the allegations are absolutely horrific. It should be said that the former superintendent, Eddie Johnson, you know, he says he adamantly denies all of the allegations that are in this lawsuit that he ever did any any sexual misconduct or sexual abuse. Chicago police officer Cynthia Donald, who was part of Eddie Johnson's uh, security detail, you know, she says that Johnson actually specifically picked her for a security detail and then immediately started preying on her raping her at CPD headquarters and other places. The allegations are absolutely horrific. She says she did not report these criminally, but certainly the allegations in this lawsuit are criminal in nature. I asked the state's attorney's office if they were looking into it. They said they couldn't confirm or deny Hmm. whether or not they're investigating these allegations for criminal charges. I mean, Brandis, the allegations, as Patrick said, are horrific, but they also paint this picture of pressuring women into sex for promotions. How does this reflect on the department as a whole? It doesn't look good, right? And she, she made the point. She actually named three other officers yesterday who had come forward about their cases, and um, they kind of inspired her and gave her the strength to feel like she could come forward as well. Because, you know, as her attorneys pointed out during that press conference yesterday, you know, women who come forward with these kinds of allegations, they usually do it, you know, behind the veil of prosecutors and or their attorneys just because of how they get treated and how the victims not necessarily get blamed, but how they get, how they get questioned and how it can be re-traumatizing mm-hmm. for them. And so they often, sometimes they don't come forward, you know, and they've got their reasons. Uh, but she said she was inspired by that. But, I mean, that alone makes you think, is this going on with frequency in Chicago uh, Police Department headquarters? Um, and she even referenced former Mayor Rahm Emanuel and how he said that, you know, the code of silence within CPD exists at all levels. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently all the way up to the superintendent, allegedly. Is there any response from the city at this point? Well, so far, the city has not responded except through a law department spokeswoman who said, you know, that they can't comment on specific allegations except to say that if the allegations are true, they would be inexcusable. Uh, One thing that that I think is really important to point out here and something that the city needs to answer to, and they didn't answer my questions about it yesterday, is why wasn't the possibility of sexual harassment investigated before this? Even if you set aside the specific allegations in Officer Donald's lawsuit, the allegations, the horrific allegations of rape, even if you set those aside, we have an incident where the leader of the police department is reportedly out at least kissing a direct you know, report of his. How is there not an investigation into sexual harassment at the very least? I'm not saying that it happened or didn't happen, but but I have not seen any evidence that the city has looked into that. The inspector general's report, the two that have that we've seen, the, the you know summaries of them mm-hmm. that we've seen, that doesn't look into it. And and the city has not answered questions about whether or not they they looked into the sexual harassment part of this even before you get to these new allegations in Officer Donald's lawsuit. And and that's, and, and that's a yeah, good go point. Sorry, I just wanted to add no. on to that. You know, when this broke and a, a year ago to the date almost. She was considered at the time to be his mistress, you know, something that he obviously wants to keep secret from his wife, but, you know, whatever, they're still in this public place um, having drinks, you know, at all hours. I think that just kind of says something about how she was immediately treated in the eye of the public. Well, we reported on WBEZ that she was transferred from her assignment Mm -hmm. uh, as security detail to to a desk job right after that. And and we talked to an employment lawyer who said that sounded like it could on its own be sexual harassment because it could look like she was being punished for, you know, being involved in a sexual relationship with her boss. This new lawsuit says that that she was dumped down and did see it as punishment when she was transferred after this scandal, the Eddie Johnson scandal broke. And I should say this inspector general report that that's out today 
she's being suspended. Yep. She's being suspended <laughs> right. seven days for her role in this. And she says that she was actually ordered to go out with Superintendent Johnson the night that he ended up found asleep behind the wheel. Uh, and that that was part of his, you know, preying on her. I, that, I'm speechless. On that. I mean, it, the, the optics of it. Now, again, this is a lawsuit. These are allegations. These are uh, the, the, the super, former superintendent has denied these allegations, but they are in lawsuit form to, to have this out there. And then at the same time saying we're going to suspend you for going out with the superintendent for seven days. I, I mean, it, it almost seems again, it seems a little tone deaf. Well, I will say that the suspension specifically is for driving drunk. I believe, you know, her, her lawyers yesterday and, and, Officer Donald herself confirmed that she went out with, with Eddie Johnson that night. Again, she says she was ordered to go out with her as part of her, her job as his security detail and that he told her he had that she had to go out with him. But she did say that they then both drove back to CPD headquarters together and that she drove herself home. You know, the IG report makes the case that, that she was also drinking. She didn't confirm one way or another if she was drinking that night. But, but specifically, the punishment is for, uh, uh, according to the IG, uh, you know, driving drunk. Yeah. Patrick, we talked about this with you yesterday, just the, the reported on the changes of the department's use of force policy, Patrick. There were 155 recommendations from a working group to, to CPD. CPD rejected 150 of those 155 recommendations. What has been the fallout since we talked yesterday? There was this working group that the mayor convened. They met every week for months. They came up with this comprehensive list of recommendations, and CPD took five very technical ones. The mayor's office still has not responded to questions about that. They referred me to a CPD statement, where you know, which we already have, which CPD said that they had good reasons for rejecting them, like that some of them would violate the law or some of them were already in existing policies. But that's another thing that, that Mayor Lightfoot has still not answered questions about, even though there's been very harsh criticism of her yeah. from members of the working group. Well, Brandis, critics, they're calling the process a sham. It's, it's not even a matter of optics. It's just a matter of the relationship itself, right? Because we're hearing from activists, you know, who say they spent all this time and, you know, did all this work over the summer to come up with this many ideas. And, you know, CPD has responded and said that, you know, some of these ideas are impossible because they would conflict with the consent decree or with state law, obviously, would be illegal. Um, Some of them have already been addressed, and CPD is saying, you know, the fact that we're adopting these five is big. The activists don't see it that way at all, Um, and and they see this. And I mean, I'm hoping to talk to some more of them myself, but they see this as um, they're calling it a sham. Were there no parameters set forth with this working group about what could be done and what couldn't? One of the co-chairs of the working group was Deputy Chief Ernest Cato, who's a deputy chief with the police department. I would think that he would have in those meetings been saying, hey, guys, we can't do that, actually. That's against the law or, you know, that's already right. in consent decree or that would violate the consent decree. It's possible that he did say those things and, and the, the group just were like, whatever, man, we're, we're, we're going to suggest what we want to suggest. I, I wasn't in those meetings, obviously. But, yeah, the police department was involved in this process the whole way through. So for it to then come out with 155 recommendations that they say mostly are either impossible or not necessary or would violate the law – is surprising. I will also say the group, you know, if you look at the makeup of, of these working groups, it's a fairly radical collection of people, but it's also a collection of people who a lot of them are experts in this field. So I would be surprised if that group of experts came up with a list that was like just completely, you know, impossible or just against the law or something like right. that. That's WBEZ reporter Patrick Smith. WTTW's Brandis Friedman is also on board today for our weekly news roundup.
Let's dive into some of the other big stories happening this week. Illinois reported the highest single day case count since the beginning of the pandemic today. 4,000 new cases and 53 additional deaths are reported. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle detailing her $6.9 billion budget plan for fiscal year 2021. The census was supposed to continue through the end of October, but the Trump administration argued they need the extra time to add up the results by the end of the year. Okay, experts have been talking about a second wave, and it seems like the second wave is indeed here. You look at all the numbers, and they look to be headed in the wrong direction. Brandis, I guess the big question is, will some of the biggest restrictions of the spring and the summer, are, are they coming back? It's looking like it, isn't it, unfortunately? And actually, since we've been on the phone, IDPH has released its new numbers for today, and we are over 5%. It's 5.1% um, with another surge in reported cases at 4,500, 4,500. Yep. So, I mean, you know, you talk about schools reopening. That's kind of the argument of, of CPU, that cases are on the rise. They were actually lower, obviously, in August and September when people could actually be outside. Had you told us that that's where we were going in February, right. like, you know, you're all going to be locked down, none of us would have believed it. But it became reality, and it's frightening to think that that might be the case again if this is the second wave. Yeah, and, you know, Patrick, when we start talking about uh, even the emergency travel list has uh, grown, uh, Indiana was added to it, and added to it in a way that was much different than before. Uh, before it was, okay, don't go to Indiana, be cautious, you got to come back and self-quarantine if you spend more than 24 hours there. Now they're specifically saying if you do not work in Chicago and you live in Indiana or vice versa, don't come to either place and, and, and you have to self-quarantine. I mean, that's a huge deal, especially when we're talking about the thousands of people that, that commute back and forth across the border. Yeah, there are thousands of people who live in Chicago on the southeast side who, for them, going to Indiana means going across the street. Means going know, to the uh, grocery store. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And 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 so you know, this is the sort of thing where those people there are either going to ignore this order, or it will really, really change their everyday life. All right, let's talk about election day. We're just uh, weeks away from it. Uh, the county is dealing with a backlog of roughly 20,000 vote-by-mail applications. Cook County uh, Clerk Karen Yarbrough said that they were prepared to handle the workload. The stories so far have been about the Postal Service or about, uh, you know, uh, I guess the voter fraud. But then also the, the stories will be next will be about the lines people are waiting in for early voting. Are they prepared for what could be a obviously is a record amount of counting. I mean, that's that's a big part of this. And 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 there's a lot on the line. We can't be in a as a country, we can't in a state, we can't be in a position where they're like, you know what, there's so many to count, it's gonna take six days. I've seen people saying, and I don't just mean here in Illinois, I mean nationally, like, hey, we should be setting expectations where you might not know the winner of the presidential election or other races, you know, for a week after voting. And I do think it's important that we in the media set realistic expectations. And, and what's most important is accuracy and, and our democracy actually working. But people just are not used to that. And I don't think people are going to accept that. And it's going to create a lot of confusion, I think, if we have one thing on election day where people are saying, well, here's what the results are so far, and then it's drastically different a week later. I do think that that will have the potential to be a, a real sort of crisis for our democracy, honestly, because then people will be wondering what to believe. I think, you know, I think we all worry that, that our president will, will help add to that confusion and concern. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's something that we need that Illinois and Cook County and Chicago need to be prepared for, but it's also going to be a national issue. Yeah. Governor J.B. Pritzker facing new opposition over his graduated income tax proposal. This time it's coming from his cousin, billionaire Jennifer Pritzker. She donated a half a million dollars to help stop the measure. I want to play a clip of his response to that news. I don't know if you have a cousin uh, and whether you agree with your cousin on everything, 
but uh, you know, let's just be clear. The fair tax is about making the system fairer for the middle class and for people who are striving to get to the middle class and asking wealthy, the wealthiest people in the state to pay a little bit more. Um, so that's why I'm fighting for it. You know, this story obviously gets headlines because the names and it's family fighting cousins and cousins. But if you've been to the History Museum and you've seen the uh, family tree of the Pritzkers, you know it's a pretty big family and there's probably a lot of uh, different uh, ideologies at play. But what do you think of the fact, Brandis, that the uh, the Pritzker family is fighting in, in the media? There's a big difference when uh, cousins who disagree have this kind of money to put towards causes that they believe in. And so, okay, Jennifer Pritzker disagrees, and she's put half a million dollars in um, to, to support the organization that opposes the graduated tax amendment. Here's the other thing I have to say about that, though, is, you know, Governor Pritzker has, that organization, the, I forget the name of the Coalition for a Fair Tax, they've raised about $55 million. Most of that has come from the governor. We all know that Ken Griffin has put a substantial amount mm-hmm. of money um, in the same pot that Jennifer Pritzker has put her money in with regards to opposing it. That adds up, y'all, to about $100 million, which is a very expensive amendment campaign so for and against. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, in a, in a pandemic, when people are hungry, that, and obviously all of these folks give to worthy causes to help other people, but that's just a lot of money. To put it's, it's so much money. It's so much money. It's to an end, but that's so much money I know. for ads. If, if people were cynical about the, the process of government and the process of campaigns and politics, uh, if they weren't before, they are now after $100 million being put on a ballot initiative. <laughs> Let's turn to the 2020 census. The count is stopped, I guess. Today is the day, right? So, um, Patrick, what's at stake here in the state of Illinois? They're, they're, you know, If you go to the census websites, they say 99.9% of the, the whole country was counted. We did it. Uh, but there's still a lot of questions about, and, and a lot of undercounts in specific neighborhoods in Chicago. Right. I mean, uh, the WBEZ reporter, Esther Yunji Kang, has, has been reporting on this, and experts say, oh, that 99% number really doesn't mean much at all. And, and we have a lot of neighborhoods here in Chicago that are below where they were the last time we had a census count. What's at stake is, you know, we could lose an additional congressional seat, depending on how the census turns out. And, and obviously, you know, millions of dollars in federal funding. Uh, through the SNAP program and, and other other programs that are based on the population of, of the city or the state or the county are, are, are at stake here. My last story is just about sports before we wrap up. The Chicago White Sox fire Ricky Renteria. Ricky Renteria, a manager who was fired by the Cubs before they won the uh, World Series in 2016, replaced by Joe Madden. Now Ricky Renter fired as the White Sox are on the way up. This guy can't catch a break. Poor guy, right? Rick, like, doesn't he? Want, he wants to win a World Series, or at least go to the World Series. And um, I, I won't lie, I don't follow baseball a whole bunch, but I do know that Rick Hahn said, you know, that when the White Sox win their next championship, that Renneria's fingerprints will have been all over it. I'm sure he's like, that's great, but I would like for my fingerprints to be all over, you know, the championship. Yeah, like, actually, I'd like, <laughs> like to be in the dugout, right? There, right, yeah, right. holding it rather than just leaving some fingerprints. So. Right. And Patrick, uh, I'm blown away that they're considering Tony Larusa, who's the longtime you know uh, manager in baseball from the Oakland Athletics, former Chicago White Sox manager back in that '83 squad, as even a, a potential candidate. Hasn't been in the dugout since 2011. Uh, I forgot his age. I think he's in his late 70s. Uh, but uh, Tony Larusa for the manager for the White Sox. 
Yeah, I have been really surprised by that reporting too. I mean, he's so long. He's not out of baseball. He's been, you know, he's sort of kept his toe in it, but it's been a really long time since he was a manager, as you said. That feels like quite a retread. Although I would much, I'm not a White Sox fan, but I would much rather they pick Tony Larusa than than AJ Hinch from the Astros. I just don't think anybody involved in that Astros cheating scandal should yeah. should get to now, should get such a great job. As a baseball purist, I would say Tony Larusa's got some dirt on him as well, as he was not only the coach of the Oakland, Oakland Athletics with uh, the Bash. <laughs> brothers and the steroids there but he also in st louis with mark mcguire as well so i don't want to i'm just saying like you can say aj hinch <laughs> right. got caught tony larissa didn't but there's there's a lot in there all right that's going to wrap up the friday news roundup thanks to our panel today wbez's patrick smith and brandis friedman from wttw patrick brandis thanks so much have a great weekend thank you same thank to you, you. And that's the Weekly News Roundup. Thanks for downloading us this week. For more great conversations around the important stories happening in and around Chicago, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening to the Roundup from WBEZ Chicago. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.